I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, Choice, and this is another round of podcast. This is number 102, and I have John Fife. Now, I know you're not listening. You're not tuning in to listen to me talk, right? This guy, love him or hate him. He is a uh, coach that has been doing, doing this a very, very long time. He knows what the hell he's doing. And today, not only are we talking about his path from St. Joe's Prep day one to today, a long story arc this guy has, but we're going to be talking about how you get high school athletes to peak at the right time. A month ago, we watched the most exciting high school race all year and the prep was out by open water on the field to then lose in the last 600 meters not a big deal but the year before they're national champions john thanks for being here i'd be here so john everyone knows that you went to the prep in the 90s but how old were you and where were you specifically when you took that first stroke so many years ago uh i guess i was 15 um, and it would have been in February or January of 1995. Um, we started tryouts for prep crew freshmen in January of 95. And, um, yeah, that, that somehow I made the team back then there was, there were a lot less sports available. Um, we didn't have lacrosse. We didn't have rugby. We didn't have, um, a bunch of sports that we have now. Um, and so, freshman crew was one of the biggest opportunities there were and so i think about 120 kids tried out for crew. <laughs> i mean i'd love to get those numbers now but uh yeah about 120 kids tried out um and i still don't know how i made the team because i was uh probably the worst athlete in the whole group oh i appreciate your honesty but so like okay so 95 i'm trying to think like spirit and atlantic city were really really good uh i'm assuming bonner had a pretty good team on the row i'm assuming like lasalle was pretty like who were the top teams in like the 95 96 time frame yeah so at least in the varsity um that year we won the stoke ferry in the in the varsity eight in 95 barely over lasalle it was a really great race um and then spirit was good Atlantic, Atlantic City, City High was very good. They had come off like a banner year in 94 and then came back in 96 and had like an all-star eight. So you, you, so at the prep now, like we've, we've, we filed the prep here for the last like couple of years. Talking to the athletes today, uh, rowing is such a big part of the school, right? Of the program. And, and, and with 120 kids in 1995, like I'm imagining it, it, it was like, it was the same, if not bigger. Is that, is that accurate back then? Yeah. Um, it was, I don't want to say it was bigger, but it was, it was such a big part of, of the school. A lot of it because we were one of the few sports back then that was winning. Um, now all, like almost all our sports are winning. Um, so crew was one of the sports like if you wanted to win um you should probably join join crew um, your parents were your parents like rowers did they know the sport or, or was it all kind of new to you and them all new i mean um 
go way back. I mean, my father passed away when I was six. Uh, so um, I had an older brother and sister uh, that did not go to the prep. Um, but my mom, my mom went to Prendy um, back in the 60s. Um, so she knew of rowing, but, you know, and certainly encouraged me, but it wasn't like you're going to be a rower. I mean, I, I didn't get introduced to really rowing until freshman history class. And the moderator um, of crew at the time was Father Taggart. And he, uh, he taught history to freshmen and he would show these old school slideshows of the team rowing and going to Henley and really got kids pumped up about, about rowing. So he was the guy who really convinced me to go out for crew. I love that they were showing Henley slides. Like that's so cool, right? You yeah. know, like I didn't know what Henley was until senior of high school. Um, and like mainland, we didn't, that was never a thing. Um, so who were, who were the coaches uh, running the show in the, in those mid nineties. So Bill Lamb was the head coach. Um, and you know, there was like this, like <laughs> enclave of coaches that, that would come and go, uh, we guys that come on the weekends, uh, just to like get hyped up for racing. Uh, there was just coaches coming out of the walls and most of them were alums. Um, and my, I want to say my junior year, which was 1997, um, Chuck Crawford came back because Chuck had been the head coach of the prep um, from 1978 to 1987, wow. and then he came back to the prep in 1997 to coach the freshmen. Um, so it was Bill Ann running the team and Chuck Crawford running the freshmen, and that was like a deadly combination of, of great coaching um, that, uh, that launched us into kind of the 97 sweep of the Stokes Ferry, the 2000 Henley win um, and beyond. Now you, 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 you're 95 to 99, right? That was your, your era, 95, 98. 90, 98 I, is when I graduated. 98. Yeah. Now you said that you weren't a very good athlete, right? You were probably one of the worst there. Like what, you getting a senior year did you make the varsity eight were you in the top boat in that in that 98 time frame well funny story I'll, I'll back it up like back then we didn't we didn't have our own boat boat boathouse so we rode out of penn ac um so we had a we had a roster cap from penn ac so 120 freshmen would try out that number had to come down to 50. so a lot of kids got cut um you know, I've heard stories over the years of how I didn't get cut. I mean, I, I did work hard. I never gave up on the runs. I may have been really slow. I, I just never gave, gave up and I was heavy. So I was able to move the air a little bit. Um, and I also had like size 13 shoes. So they thought I was going to get really tall and <laughs> to like six one. Um, so I was like this, maybe this little engine that could, and like kept, kept, kept trying, kept trying my freshman year. I barely got boated. Like we'd run down to the boathouse and, um, you know, they'd call out the lineups. Nine times out of 10, John Fife's name was not in a lineup, which meant I had to run from Tennessee up to the canoe club, stand on the dock, and hopefully get called in to switch into a boat. But probably like seven times out of 10, it was Fife run back to the boathouse. So I was more on the prep crew running team for the, my freshman year. Um, <laughs> So I ended up losing though. I ended up losing like 50 pounds my freshman year. Um, and uh, I ended up making the freshman B boat, which to me was like 
greatest thing in, in, in the world. Like I made the freshman B boat. We raced at Stotesbury back when you could enter B boats at Stotesbury. Our A boat and our B boat actually made the final. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to rowing. My sophomore year, you know, in the fall, I was, I wasn't great. You know, I was getting voted, but, I, you know, I was in a, bot, a bottom eight, I'm sure. Um, I kind of got into, I really got into the Irving that winter um, and got pretty competitive. Um, and, you know, my goal that year was to make our JVA. If I can make the JVA, I know I'm going to win a lot of races and have a lot of fun. Um, so that was my goal. And I did it. I made the JVA as a sophomore. Um, and I know our varsity eight that year was struggling. Um, and, you know, they, they came off a really good year in 95. They went to Henley. Um, and a lot of those guys had graduated. So our varsity was kind of struggling. And I, um, I remember uh, one day in the, in the spring of 96, my sophomore year, we had these managers that would, a lot of our managers would drive the launches for the coaches. And this manager came racing up to our JV8, John Rowing in, um, and says, Lamb wants Fife. So I get out of the boat, get in the launch, and then I, I, I go over to the varsity eight and I get put in the bar, varsity eight mid mid year, my sophomore year. I never, since that moment, I never did not run the varsity eight at St. Joe's prep. Wow. Now was, so I, I had my introduction to Bill Lamb in 2003 and he was, he had this aura about him, right? So, so Chris Kanicki, coach at Mainland, you know Chris. Uh, I'm in the JV8, the Varsity 8. That year was supposed to be the best team ever. And Bill Lamb comes out, and he's screaming at the Varsity 8. That's not beating the JV. So we're in the JV8, right? And we did these 20-minute pieces. And Bill Lamb's like, you know, piss off, JV8. You guys go. You get a lead. Go ahead. We basically paddled until the Varsity 8 came up to us. And then we went ham. And they couldn't, they couldn't pull away from us. And Bill Lamb lost his mind. And I was like, like, this guy's crazy. Like, this guy is nuts. And I didn't see him again for like eight more years. And then he's like the sweetest man. And he was like such a good person. Right. Was he that energetic back then? Like, was he still just that, that, that ball of energy kind of person? Yeah. Yeah, he was. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Uh, I was actually with our mutual friend Mike Wallen let, last week, and we were telling some uh, some funny lamb, lamb stories, some of which I couldn't re repeat here. Um, yeah, he was a lot of energy, and um, you, you, you never wanted to be on the wrong end of that um, uh, in practice. I certainly was a few few times, but you didn't want to be on the wrong end of that. All right, so let's 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 move forward. So you stay in Philly, and I know that you go to Penn. So you stay yep. along the road. Um, was that like a, was that like a, just like a natural move for a lot of the prep guys and a lot of the guys like in Philadelphia just to stay in that area? Because look, Pennant was really fast. I mean, you guys had a really competitive team. Was that a, a normal transition? Um, it, it was for me. I mean, I was looking at a, a lot of schools. I mean, I was looking at Princeton. I was looking at Brown um, and some other schools. But uh, you know. Once I met Coach Bergman, it was a done deal. I mean, um, and, and I, I watched, I mean, again, we were at Penn State. We're right next to Penn. Um, so I'm seeing the Penn varsity come and go every day. And um, once I met Coach Bergman, I knew that's where I wanted to row. Did you, yeah, um, 
I, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say this, but like, did you have more, did you have a better experience at, at Penn than you did at, at, uh, at prep or are they, are they just two completely different things? They were completely di different. I mean, I think any prep guy will probably say nothing can top our experience at the prep. And that's, I don't think that's really true. Um, but um, they're, they were very di di different. I, I had a great experience both at the prep and at Penn, but they were different. You know? um, no. it's, just a, it's, it's just different. It's just, yeah, you're right. It, it is. It's just, I'm just trying to think like they're, they're so close together, right? I mean, you're rowing in the same body of water and every morning that you're out there and you're running down, you're warming up, you still see the prep, right? So like it, it, it's really familiar with you. Um, all right, so at Penn, I ask this to a lot of coaches. Like I, you, you've made coaching your career. Like this is, this is your, this is your life. Um, at what point in your journey did you realize like, I need to do this forever or like, at least I need to do this. I need to keep doing this and keep coaching. Um, I think my plan in college was, was I thought I was either going to get into politics or I was going to get into law. Um, and somewhere along the way that shifted and probably shifted. I think my junior year of college, I was with Chuck Crawford at Penn AC and Chuck basically told me that I was going to coach the juniors at Penn AC that some that some summer. Um, oh. I guess I'm 21 at the time. Yeah, I I took over the juniors at Penn AC in 2001. I'm still in college, um, and you know didn't what wasn't given a whole lot of guardrails. I mean, I just ran it and had a blast. Learned a lot. Um, really enjoyed it. Went back to rowing at Penn in the fall, I did it again um, that, that coming year. But somewhere between um, my junior year and my senior year, um, I was getting into coaching. I was injured for a little bit, and I went back to the prep to coach while I was injured, and I went back to rowing. Um, so I really fell in love with coaching in that period there. Um, and instead of applying to law school, um, I was applying for like low-level collegiate coaching jobs throughout the second semester of my senior year at Penn. So like, were you asking your mother or your family, like what, what they thought? Cause like, yeah. I know that you have a law degree. I know that you could be some hotshot lawyer somewhere. And you're like, Hey, you know, I want to go coach crew for $8,000 a year. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a lot actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I did. I think I just, I made a decision that, that I wanted to try it. And if I'm, if there's a, point in my life where I can try it now is the time it's not going to be 10 years from from now it's got to be when I'm young I got to do it now if, if ever it makes, it makes total sense I mean and, and you weren't and you were pretty you're I'm sure you were self-aware that you're like I'm not going to try out for the national team right I'm not going to oh, go yeah. you know I'm not going to do that but you really Chuck Crawford guy the guy I mean he's synonymous with Philadelphia Delaware rowing right the guy he's been around forever so when a guy like that tells you you're going to coach um, and lucky enough, you were around, in my opinion, two of the best coaches in the Philadelphia, New Jersey region, Bill Lamb and Stan Bergman, you know, like yeah. you can't get any better than that. Um, okay. So you, you, you're, 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 jumping around, you're coaching uh, around there. What happens after you graduate and you're like in your early twenties now, you're 23, 24, 25, like what's happening? So I did get a job. I applied for a lot of like in, intern positions. Um, and my first like 
hired was um, I was hired to be the intern coach at Brown. Um, and so I packed my car up and moved up to Providence. Um, fall of 2002. Um, and this was not a well-paying job at all. I mean, I was literally living out of my car um, and like crashing on uh, at the time as Matt Carlson was the freshman coach and he was a prep guy. Um, and I lived on his couch for like a week or two. And then I, I lived on Paul Cook's couch for a week. Uh, and then out of nowhere in that time, Penn was it looked, looking for a new head lightweight coach and they hired Mike Irwin and I get a call from Mike and he offers me the freshman job. So I've been at Brown for maybe two or three weeks, and now I'm telling Paul Cook, hey, I, I got a better gig and leave. Was that a hard – so I know, I, I've known Paul a while. Was that like a hard conversation to have? I can't imagine that he'd be like saying, oh, piss off. He'd be like, he'd support you, right, for that? Uh, I think Paul was – I think he was disappointed that I was leaving, um, I, and I felt bad. I did. I felt bad. So I, I was making good – relationships up, up, up there. Uh, I enjoyed co co coaching the Brown guys, um, but this was, it was an opportunity I couldn't say no to. Um, and it, it made it, the going back to Philadelphia made things a lot easier for me, just like finding a place to live and, you know, just the day-to-day -day stuff. So um, I don't think Paul was all that happy with me at the time, but, you know, it's funny. I, I talk to Paul all the time now and, uh, you know, it's just funny that that's where it all began. Yeah, fall of 2002. So I, I, how many years do you have at Penn then? Um, so I coached the freshman lightweights at Penn for three years. So 02 through 05. Wow. And I, I, I quite, I don't know how success, I'm not a, I'm, I'm a fan of lightweight rowing, but I don't follow it as much as the heavyweights. Like I, how, how competitive was Penn in those three or four years? So we were building um, my second year, um, was the first time that I had the kids that I recruited um, and I recruited a really all-star class, um, uh, really, really good kids. Um, and uh, we went into sprints ranked second um, only because we had lost to Navy the week before. And we had been, we had been just running the table on pretty much every crew. Um, when we raced Navy, my best guy had food poisoning that week, that weekend. Um, so we lost the Navy by a little bit. We go into sprints ranked second, and we were on a mission to win that 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 thing. And those kids were so charged up to win. And um, I have to go back and see if I can find the, the results. We ended up coming in fourth, but the difference between first and fourth, I think, was less than like half a second. I I I I, I mean that's unbelievable. I. I've always loved watching sprints, lightweight finals like that. I think sprint lightweight finals is way more exciting than any other race. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough. Sprints is always like, it's, it's, it's wild. Like IRA was, was really fun to watch this year, but I still think sprints is electric. Um, yeah. So like, it, so, you know, I, I know a lot of what you did in the, in the later 2000s. So where, do, where do you go after 2005? Georgetown. Um, right. Right. Now, why that job? Like, why, why shoot down to D.C.? Um, you know, at least back then, you know, I, I think being a freshman lightweight coach had a had a pretty finite shelf life. Like you 
keep doing that. You, you, you know, you stay three, four, five years, um, and then it's time to move on. And I was certainly wasn't getting urged to leave, um, but I felt like this was an opportunity that I needed to, to pursue to be the, the head light, lightweight coach at Georgetown. Um, so I applied and I got it. Um, that's a what a what a listen. I, I mean, at, at that time, that is when I'm at GW, right? So, you and I were in the same same boathouse. Uh, you had Tony Johnson, who at the time was like slowly leaving his career as a head coach. Like he was coming into his really back half of his coaching. I, I what a terrible place to row compared to, to the boathouse row. I mean, Thompson's boat center is awful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's how, so like, how long were you there for at, at Georgetown? One year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One year. So why, you know, I, I love tracking coaches, you know, and like what they're doing. So why one year at Georgetown? Like what, what made you, and where did you go next? Oh, that's easy. I got fired. You got fired. I got fired. Well, can you, can you tell me <laughs> what's behind that? Um, Tony Johnson, and I did not see eye to eye on much of anything. Um, I was a very hot headed, you know, bombastic, you know, wanting to get everything. And I wanted it now, no patience. And, you know, Tony Johnson is a very late laid back cool customer. And, you know, I think he got fed up with me. So I love, dude, I love, I love this era of John Fife. <laughs> I love that you can like look back and be like, you know what? I got fired. It happened. Um, what was, so I'm, I'm interested, like you walking in there, young, you're, 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 you're young, you're young. Yeah. You had, you, you found success at, 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 uh, at Penn. You have the experience. Um, like when you say you were bombastic, you were hotheaded, did you just walk in and, and like, I'm running the show. This is my deal. And, and, and walk out, get out of my way. I mean, was it really like, yeah. Oh yeah. Vocal? Were you vocal yeah. about that? Oh yeah. I was screaming at people screaming. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. it's funny when I talk to the guys that I coached from back then, because I'm friends with a lot of them and they got stories about me. And they, it's funny. Athletes remember stories about their co coaches. Like they can tell it word for word. And they're hilarious. And they're telling me this like it happened yesterday. And I'm like, remember that. It's like almost like I blacked out every time I had one of these episodes. And like even prep kids now, they'll tell me, you remember when you said this? I'm like, no. You're right. I, you know what's so funny? I, you're exactly right, man. Athletes remember verbatim yeah. exactly what happened, what their coaches said. I could tell a dozen Greg Meyer stories. Um, all right. So, but, but I'll tell you what, and I learned something coaching at Penn. So one of my mentors at Penn was Seth Brennan and Seth was coaching the freshman heavyweights. We kind of came in at the same time. He was coaching the freshman heavyweights. I was coaching the freshman lights. Seth was a Princeton guy, um, wrote heavyweight and coached the freshman lightweights at Princeton for a while and undefeated for a few years. Um, and uh, I learned a ton from him. The guy really knew how to teach rowing. He also really knew how to teach kids. He, he told me something that I still believe in now. And he, he said to me, the goal of all my practices is that, this is what he said, if they don't go to the dining hall after practice and they're not talking about something that I said or I did, I failed. 
Wow. I'm writing that down. That that that's very interesting. Wow. Now, so that that really stuck with you then. I mean, that really yeah. that was that was 17 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And you still remember that. I still remember and I still, I mean, obviously the kids at the prep aren't going back to the dining hall, but they're going in their cars and they're going in their carpools. And yeah, I do. I, I, I hope that I or my coaches say or do something that sticks with them or is like funny or something, you know, they want to tell a story about because, it, it, you know, it, it, it draws a connection to the team. It draws a connection to the sport beyond the four walls of the boathouse. I'm, I'm thinking about this a little bit. So I've had two distinctly different coaches, Greg Meyer and Chris Kanicki. Yep. And Greg at the time when he was coaching us, he had this way of like, it's, we, he was the enemy. So he made us draw in together to hate him, right? That's a, that's one kind of coaching style. So at the end of practice or when we were back at, you know, our dining hall or whatever, we would talk about, you know, like, I can't believe this guy said this to us. I can't believe he made us do this. And then you, you come together to hate him, right? right. To stop him. Chris Kanicki was the complete opposite. We we're like, this guy's lunatic. This guy's hilarious. I can't believe he did these things. And it's uh, and it was like a more of a, it was just a different environment. So I think you're exactly right, man. I, I, I really like that. Um, now you get fired. I can't imagine what that does to an ego, right? Tony Johnson, Yale, Georgetown. You know, this guy has been around forever, and this, this. Thin, tall, silver medal, gold medal, uh, silver medalist in the Olympics is like you're fired. <laughs> what did the, what did that do to you? Um, I, I don't know if it humbled me. Uh, I, <laughs> I I was definitely upset, um, but it, it also kind of shifted. It it was at that point where I was like, maybe I shouldn't be a coach. Oh, um, or maybe it shouldn't be my career. Um. So, you know, it, it definitely rattled me um, and it made me think about the path that I was on. And it also made me think about if I'm going to do this, is this the way I want to do it? Do I want to be this like crazy guy all the time? Um, so, but that was a moment where I, you know, I didn't decide this immediately, but over the course of that summer, I decided I was going to go to law school. Wow. Wow. So where'd you go to law school? I went to Rutgers, Camden. You went to Camden. I got a buddy of mine, Shane Graves. Shane Graves got his uh, law degree at Rutgers. Um, so you do Rutgers, you're, you're 06. So you just, that's all you do. That's all your focus for, for, for three years, right? Over two years, three years, you just get a law degree. You, you, you focus there. Is that all you do? No. <laughs> uh, no. So when, when I went to law school, I went to law school, but I was also now the freshman coach at the prep and the assistant head coach. Wow. Wow. So I think it, I'm not positive, but I, my, my memory serves at that point, Lamb was buying new business. And so he was really busy kind of getting this new business up and running. Um, and so, you know, I, I was tasked with kind of doing a lot of the stuff in the fall. Um, so I, 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 I was doing a lot of the operational stuff for the prep at that time too, which was crazy. Cause I'm like in law school, first year of law school, which is insanely intense. And you know, I'm sitting in a lecture hall, first year of law school, and like on my laptop, it's like split screen. I have like my outlines, and then I have like emails. I'm like doing work for prep crew. Didn't so? Um, didn't Eric Bergman go to Rutgers Law? Stan's son. I think he did. 
I think he did because he did the same thing with us. So he was in law school and coaching us in 2000 at Mainland. Okay. And that guy, he looked like he aged five years after that experience. Like <laughs> it was, he probably didn't sleep. So imagining like yeah. the workload on that, having to deal with a bunch of optional stuff, the prep and that, I, I, I can't imagine you, you slept very much at that point. I don't remember. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you do that, you get your law degree. This is like 06 to what, 2008, 2009? 08. 08. Yeah. Now, is this when you shoot down to Dallas? Is this when you make your big move uh, west? Um, no, actually. Um, 2008, Lamb left the prep. And then I stopped coaching for not very long. Because um, I didn't graduate law school until 2010. Um, so I, I didn't start law school in 06. I think I started in the fall of 07. Okay. I spent 06, you know, LSATs doing all that. And then I started in 07 and then graduated in 10. Um, so I think I took a like a semester or maybe a semester and a half where I didn't coach at all. And then I started, I, I went to St. Joe's U to help out with their lightweights. And I think I did that for a year. Um, and then um, then I stopped and then um, finished up law, law school. And, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of legal work. I was working, I was clerking for the district attorney's office. Um, I was clerking for different firms um, and was really heading down the path of, all right, I think I'm going to be a district attorney. Um, I really enjoyed it. But this was like the worst time to be graduating from law school. Um, you know, yeah. the, the recession after 08 um, was really bad. Um, and it, it sucked because I went into law school you know, all those seven, everyone that was graduating from law school was getting a six-figure job in a firm. You're set, right? When I graduated from law school, everyone's like, what do I do now? And, you know, a lot of the kids or a lot of men and women I graduated with were, like, working at Starbucks to, like, make ends meet, you know? Um, so it was tough. It was really tough. And, like, I was able to do a little bit of contract work here or there, but um, it, it was it was bad. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it sounds. I I remember it like that's that was when I was trying to find jobs, and like it was it was it was miserable. Um, yeah. So is it? So it's like what 2011, 2010, 11, 12. That's when you head out to Dallas. Then. So you're, you're yeah. Not so it was the, it was the it was the winter of like 10, 11. Is why was that job so enticing? Because you know back then Dallas was like no one. You didn't know right. You didn't know in Dallas right. Now you go to you go to Dallas Jesuit. You got, you got the, the, I mean, Jesuit is a very great program, but like, why there? Why all the way out there? So we had a backstory there. So I think it was in 2006 or 2007, um, a Jesuit priest, um, Patty Huff, um, who's from England, but he was in the States. He, he had been transferred to Dallas Jesuit. He had some rowing background. He rode at Leeds in England, um, but he was, he was going to teach at Jesuit and he was also going to be their new rowing coach and he had never coached. So um, he came to the prep and kind of shadowed us for a summer. And so I became friends with, with him and he became someone that, you know, he would feel very comfortable calling me or calling Bill Lamb over the course of these years. Oh, wow. Like 
what kind of boat should I buy? Should I go to this race? You know, I'm having a problem with a parent. What do I do? So we became very close with that program. Um, not just me, but the prep program became very close with that program. We were kind of like a mentor program for them. Um, so it wasn't a stranger program for me. And actually one of the kids that I coached at Penn, um, we actually sent him down to Jesuit uh, to, be in, to be their freshman coach. Um, he's also a prep guy and he wanted to be a teacher. So it all kind of w- worked out. Um, so he moved to Dallas. He taught and he was a freshman coach. He, the, the Jesuit had, a, he, he eventually moved on um, as they do. And uh, this other guy um, who was the freshman coach, Pat Travers, he took over as the head coach. And then after a few years, he decided to move up to Boston to be with his now wife. Um, so now they're without a head coach. And that team is starting to struggle a lot. They had put a lot of resources into the program over the course of, you know, three, four, five years. And now they don't have anyone to really steer it. And kids are quitting and, you know, and they had really good kids there. And so they were struggling. And so I remember it was Thanksgiving of 2010. I was, I was out to dinner with this judge with Patty Huff and Pat Travers, who were the two head coaches at Jesuit. And they were like, you should go down to Dallas and coach. And I just laughed in their face. I'm like, I am not moving to Dallas. That's not going to happen. Um, next morning I woke up and I don't know why. And I just was like, all about our team. Wow. Um, I started talking to some of the people down there. Um, they flew me down in December, I think of 2010. They flew me down to Dallas for like four days. Um, met with some people and um, yeah, they made me an offer. Uh, I wasn't full time there, um, but I got a job from one of the parents of one of the kids there happened to be the CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Dallas. Um, he met me, he took a look at my resume and hired me. Um, eventually I started as like director of special projects. Um, Then eventually I became a vice president there. Whoa. (laughs) Dude, I just assumed that you were working for the Jesuit school, that you were just like a history teacher or something. And then you'd run over and go coach. But no, so you actually had a real hard job, 40, 50 hours a week, and then you're shooting over at White Rock and you're you're training the kids. Yeah, I had an office downtown on on Elm Street in Dallas. Uh, I mean, like, you know, you're what at that point, you're probably like late 20s, early 30s. You're just living life. Yeah, I'm in my 30s at that point. Yeah. You're, you're king of the world. Down yeah, there. It, like, it, it, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it, it was a lot of fun. But now everyone knows, you know, you're, you're there for a while. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you uh, is they, they named a boat after you. It's the John Fife. And, I, and, I, and I've seen yeah. that. I selfishly have always wanted that. Like, I might just buy one for myself and put my name on it because it's so cool. But like, so how, uh, what was that like to get a, a boat named after you at that program when you've been there for so long and, and helped them be a, a nationally competitive program? What did it feel like? It, it was, that was humbling. It really was. Um, and, and it was a big surprise. And the way it worked was Randy Dam, who took over as the head coach at Jesuit after me, um, it was one of my best friends. Uh, they came up to race at St. Andrews, um, the same week, weekend that we, 
uh, where you know we we typically are like their host. You know, we'll make sure you know their parents and kids are fed and all that stuff. Um, so we raced at St. Andrews on Saturday. We were all coming back to Philly to race in the flick the next day. Um, you know, it's it's a mess. It's it's a beautiful Saturday afternoon in Philly, and we're unloading these trailers and trying to get all the boats rigged. And um, you know, it's just kind of chaos. And then things start getting weird because like there's all these people starting to show up at the boat house. Like the president of our school is all of a sudden there. Um, all these alums start show, showing up. Um, parents of alums start showing up. And I'm like, why are all these pe people here? Like, we're just unloading the trailer. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to think like, I'm in trouble. Like, there's, there's something wrong here. Um, and the, it turns out the reason the president of our school was there was he's, he was a Jesuit priest. And he was there to bless this boat that was being dedicated on site like they bring me in, like my family's there now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like I finally walk in and, um, you know, out on the apron of our dock is this boat and it has my name on it. I mean, I'm just getting, I'm getting, I'm getting goosebumps. I mean, <laughs> I would have cried. I would have, I would have been, yeah. I would have been crazy emotional. Yeah, well, I did. You know, it, 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 it was incredible. Um, and it was really cool to have both of my teams there, like, this was a year after this was not even a full year after i left jesuit and so the kids that i coached at jesuit were all there and the kids that i coached at st joe's prep are there so it was really cool to have it done at the prep this is like what this is 2017 18 2000 was like was 2018 it? yeah yeah 18 yeah right okay yeah I, I got my timeline right all right so i want to get into the, some of the meat here so it from 2018 to today right You've been running the prep. You've been running the show. You guys had the best season you've ever had. We had our interview a couple months ago. Um, you guys win the national championship, you know, 2021. Close in uh, 2019. 2022 was the most electric race. I quite, I mean, we talked about this. It was unbelievable, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but like, I want to I get into like how, how you train an entire program to peak at the right time. I think so many coaches either overthink this, have no idea what the hell they're doing, throwing darts on a wall. Like, I, I think this is really challenging. So give me some pointers, give me some tips on what you do to get that peak performance at that time. Yeah, so there, there's not just one aspect to peaking. It's not just the physicality of it. Right. I mean, also, you want them physically prepared at those moments. And, you know, for a, a high school team or a collegiate team, there's more than one in the year. Like if, you know, a, you know, like a top college, you got to be able to peak at the Eastern Sprints and figure out a way to do it again a few weeks later at the IRA. For our program, we have to figure out a way to peak at the Stokesbury Cup and then do it again um, at Youth Nat Nationals. Um, and it, so there's the physicality part about it. So it's the training that, that you implement to build up to that. Um, and then there's also the mental part of being able to get their, their minds to peak, right? Because it's, it's, um, it's, it's hard. Like it's emotionally exhausting to do that. And you can't keep doing it and doing it and doing it um, because it's just too, it's too exhausting. So um, I'm very selective about 
where we're going to peak as a program. And, you know, it's the, the demeanor of how we approach it. I mean, every race has got to be taken seriously. So we, it's not like, oh, Mid-Atlantic's, that's no big, 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 big deal. No, it's a big deal. But Mid-Atlantic's, we, we don't taper down for that. We have to figure out a way. We train right through that. We train right through the city championships. We train right through pretty much every race. There's not a single race in the spring that we back off for. I mean, it's the same training every week. You know, every Monday we do the same workout. Every Wednesday we have a speed order. Um, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays are pretty similar. You know, if we're not racing on a Saturday, five by 1500 is what we're doing. Um, so we're, we're doing this, this training week after week after week. And it's, it's hard, it's very intense, and we're not backing off at all until, until we get to the Stotesbury. That week, we definitely back off a bit. Um, so they're rested both physically and mentally, and, and they know, like, they know when the Stotesbury's there, it's a big moment, it's our home course, and they got to be up for it. And we have a lot of kids that are racing there. Um, and then, you know, after that's over, it's like, okay, they come down and then you got to kind of build them back up again. And, you know, I, you know, some people criticize me for not going to the SRAA. Um, the main reason is, you know, I really believe that if we want to be competitive at youth nationals, we, we got to pick. Um, and if, if we do the Stotesbury, which is a big moment for, oh, for us, and then four days later have to load the trailer up and then go to the Cooper, go somewhere and do it again over three races. And then now I only have basically a week now to prepare for youths. It's not enough time. You know, I'm basically just recovering that whole week, week instead of preparing. Um, so we're able to finish Stotesbury and actually I give them some time off. You know, we don't come back probably until that Wednesday after the Stotesbury. So they've been, they've had a chance to recharge the batteries and then come back at it really hard for about a week, week and a half, where we're training really hard for nationals, and then back them off again. Um, and, and tell me, talk to me about volume. Talk, talk about scale, right? So let's. Uh, I don't know. Tell me how many hours, or maybe even mileage, that you do leading up to and just beyond Mid Atlantic's. Right. So, so Mid Atlantic's I think is two weeks before Stotesbury, right? So. As no, you get to the week four, so like, how much volume and time are you typically doing in those in those weeks? Yeah, so um, for six days a week, um, our practices, you know, we're on the water between ninety and hundred twenty minutes a day. Um, it, you know, that's about uh, a typical row for us is about twelve miles um maybe a little bit more maybe a little bit less but that's a typical row for us um but you know they're coming down here and they're on the earth for probably 20 to 30 minutes warming up um they're doing a pretty you know a good a good warm-up a good a good stretch and you know I, I want them feeling good and feeling loose before before they get in the boat after after the row every day they're doing some some something it's, it's they're doing a, a, some sort of a lift they're doing box jumps, they're doing a core work, workout. And then before everyone goes up to the locker room, they're doing pull-ups as well. Um, and then, you know, definitely our top guys, the guys that are really hungry, that are hungry and looking to be in the varsity boats, 
you know, we'll see them in the erg room in the mornings as well, you know, try to get in 10K um, times a week. You know, it's so funny. I, I, there's, when these, when these series of podcasts come out, we've now had, I've now had a conversation with four different coaches. You're the fifth um, in this, in this style of what we're talking about. So your guys are, are spending upwards of three to four hours a day of practice, right? You got your warm up. They're coming in, they're stretching. And, and like everyone knows you're warming up on the yard is very light. They're not cranking yeah. up all the time, but you've got two hours of chunk in the water. And there's like a, a 30 to hour, hour after, right? Of coming down and getting. And then I talk to coaches who do two hours max total. They're like, hey, I don't, I, I only want to see it for two hours. Um, now, how about. Uh, I will say part of that is, and I think we talked about that. I think we talked about that a few months ago. I, I think part of the reason it takes so long, I mean, our kids start arriving here at three, they're, they're leaving here 6.30, I think a lot of that is they want to be here. Uh, you know, they like being in and around the boat, the boathouse. Um, yeah. so I'm having to kick them out. Um, and I think that's, that's an aspect of a really good culture when, when the kids want to be in the boathouse. So, oh, I, yeah, I mean, I was there the week before Stotesbury and it was an electric, it was electric, it was, it was wild. Now, the week of Stotes, right? So does the, does the intensity stay up and volume come down or do you flip it where you go, volume is still there, but we're just not pulling hard. We're just really nice and light. Like, what do you, what do you do in that week of run up to Stotes? No, it's it's the intensity stays up, but the volume comes way down. So it's it's almost how much, how much of a difference. So if you're if you're spending twelve miles a day on average six days a week, okay, Stotesbury is Friday. This is Monday morning of, of Stotesbury. Is this is are you doing half of the volume? Yeah, 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 about half. And then and then mentally, you said you said men. Well, I want to get really quick with the physical. And then Stotesbury ends Saturday. You give them off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and they don't come back till Wednesday. Well, this year, this year we actually um, we raced in the city championships the very right, next Sunday. Day. Yeah, um, which you know um, our plans had changed because of the results that happened at the Stotesbury. Um, we were actually going to give some of the lower boats the chance to race at the cities because the cities had gotten rescheduled. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I really thought that would have, that would have sent the wrong me message. I mean, our varsity loss is a tough race and, uh, you know, it was important for our varsity to represent St. Joe's prep at the cities the next day. And it, you know, it was actually a good thing, you know, to get them back in the build, build, build the next day. Cause they were, they were crushed. Yeah, I remember. I, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to get into it. I remember seeing the faces on those guys as you guys were walking down to get your medals. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I of course I'd be bum too. I mean, it was it was it was heartbreaking. Um, but all right, so really quick, what's the longest intensity piece that you do the weakest Stotesbury? Like, what's the longest stretch of strokes? Two minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes. I think the, the hardest workout that week is three by two. Three by two. And you're mirroring like the first, the middle, and the last two minutes, and then you're done. Yep. But with a very tight rest. It's two minutes, two minutes rest, two minutes, two minutes rest, two minutes, and we're done. Wow. 
Wow. And then, so you do it, they're doing, they do a 30 minute warm up on the earth, right? Nothing changes. Like you don't, you don't necessarily change the structure of your practice, right? Not at all. And that's like the mental thing that you're talking about, right? The mental approach. And then, and then they're, they're hammering out three by two minutes. And I'm imagining that's like, these guys are just on fire. Now, high school kids are a little bit different, not a little bit, a lot different than college athletes. These kids can't contain their energies. They're, they're, I mean, like they want to like run through a wall yeah. as a coach. What do you do to sort of coerce that and, and make them not go absolutely crazy? Well, we remind them constantly that, you know, whether it's youth nationals or the Stotesbury, it's not one race. It's, it's a series of races. You know, you got a time trial, you got a semi, you got a final, right? And so you got to keep reminding them it's not it's not one and done you got to you got to be focused on on the whole body of the regatta um so i just try and keep them focused on one thing at a time um and you know i i think they've done it enough by the time they're you know in our varsities or in, in one of our top boats that that they know um they, they know how to prepare and we've raced enough by, by the time we get to Stokesbury, we've raced a lot. Um, so it's not like this is just a random thing for, for us. So they're very, very prepared to go. So uh, one of the, okay. So I want to, I want to ask you another question about, about training and racing. So there's a coach down in DC. Um, uh, he, he's a club, he's a club team, club, club team in DC. Uh, not a high school. They don't, they don't do scholastics. And he's a true believer in fewer races in the season. He believes that if you burn them out over and over and over again, you do more and more races. Like you guys do Saturday and Sundays. Like you guys, you guys do a lot. Um, what's the argument against that? Against why is it smart? Or why do you believe that you should be doing as many races as, as you guys are? So I don't necessarily disagree with him. Um, you know, I'm, I'm now contemplating like, okay, what does spring 2023 look like for us? Um, and I think it, it's probably going to look um, like we're going to race less this coming year than we did this past, past year. Um, but I'd say the argument for racing more is, you know, I've said this before, like our sport, our sport kind of sucks. Um, I mean, it's not, the only fun part about our sport really is racing. So what do Right. Um, and so I, I feel like the racing part of it keeps guys super engaged um, and, and interested week to week to week. Now, the downside is, you know, it, it's harder to train. So if we're racing every Saturday, or we're racing every Sunday, or like you said, if we're racing every Saturday and Sunday, you know, it gives me only four days a week to train. So that is a downside. Um, the other upside is learning how to race is a skill. Uh, being able to identify your weaknesses, being able, able to figure out how to get up on crews, figuring how to um, come, come from a deficit um, is valuable. And, you know, this year in particular, one of the reasons I wanted to race, one of the reasons we were down in Florida in February was I had a really young boat. Um, the year before, the boat was all seniors and two sophomores. So 
that was a very mature boat that I, I was able to get a lot more out of by racing less. This year, these kids were young. And so I wanted to, to race them a lot. I wanted them to get the, the, the experience. Is there a, um, so you're, the, you're a program coach. Like, so you're, you're running the show, but you have, I, you do a good job of letting your younger coaches handle them, right? And like, you probably learned that from Bill Lamb and your other people in your life. Is there, an, is there a good idea that you say, freshmen, even eighth graders up to juniors should be racing every weekend, right? And your varsity eight should be more selective. Is there, a, is, there a, is there a good way to do that? Or is that a smart way of giving those younger guys races every single weekend and select more select for the varsity? Um, I think if anything, it, it's our varsity and, and ends up getting more racing than everyone else just because we travel more with the varsity. But what I don't like, I, I really don't like separating the team out. Well, that, that was my, that was my point. Like if you do something like that, you're separating everybody out. And yeah. And I don't like doing that. I, I like, I want the varsity. Okay, I want the freshman kids racing the same time our varsity kids are. I mean, I, I want them all kind of together. Um, so there were, you know, this spring was a crazy spring with weather and we had some races where the wind was nuts and everything. And we have like our varsity boats, one place and our, freshman JV boats were were back in Philly and you know looking back I wish I brought them all up to Grand to race Greenwich or whoever um it, I think we would have gotten more out of that um but yeah I mean I, I like whenever we race as much as we can I want to have whole squad together uh, so I think it's yeah so but like next year you're rethinking you're rethinking your strategy now like let's Less is more, right? Yeah, I don't know how much less, but yeah. Interesting. Now, now how much of, I, I do think there was like a, um, I hate to use the term beat down, but it, it, it does take a lot for these kids. We're driving up to Overpack in the morning, racing Greenwich and racing Saugatuck, um, which are really great teams. And then, then getting back in our cars and then racing down to race in in the flick um and i know it's you know 1500 but that it's not about the 1500 it's about car driving an hour or two you know sure. getting up and, and you know it's just i think it taxes the kids a lot um and i'm not saying there's no benefit i'm just i'm trying to weigh the benefit of do we want to do that too many times did you have so parents spend so much time driving the team? Parents, without the parent support, you know this, you got nothing. Did you have any complaints or concerns with how much you were doing last year? Did, did that ever happen? If it did, it never got to, to me. Um, and we have a really organized um, parent group. Um, and no, I think that I think they were really happy to see these kids rate racing. And again, remember, we're coming off of COVID, where I think everyone's just happy to be able to get out and do, and do stuff. You know, yeah. um, so the opportunity to get out and 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 and, and race, whether it's you know here or Overpack or Mercer, you know, I think you know our parents are really good at supporting you know their kids. And you know, now if the kids passionate about running and they, they support it. So uh, I, I, I never have done this. So we never took four or five days off. You did, you did after Stokesbury. You take, forget about Sunday, but your typical training is 
Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. Um, yeah, or you concerned? Maybe come concerned? back on Wednesday. They come back, yeah, but you're not you're like you're you're next that Wednesday. You're not you're not doing five by fifteen hundred. You're not yeah. crushing it. You're like easing it. Uh, personally, as I I'm I'm thirty six, so it's a little bit different. But like when I take two or three days off of, of working out, I'm a bag of shit. Like I feel <laughs> terrible. It's hard for me to get back. It takes me a lot longer to ramp up. Now I'm not eighteen years old anymore, um, but. You, you obviously found success there. Like why, why those four or five days off? Is it just purely mental? Is it just it's a clear it, it's, it, it, I'd say it's 90% mental. Um, just, I want, after you have such a big high and the Stokesbury is a high, whether, whether, whether you win or lose, it's still a high, right? Um, I want them coming back. Um, I want them coming back to the boathouse when they're just chomping at the bit to get back into a boat. You know, um, and like I have, um, I have three guys on the, on the world's team right now. They're over in Italy, and I, I was out in Chula Vista with them last last week. And I was talking to them. I said, "When you get back from Italy, I don't want you looking at a boat, looking at an erg until September. Like you just need to rest, right? And part of that is physical, right? Like the bodies are beat up; they need the rest." The real thing is, I want them, and I told them this, I don't want you coming down to the boathouse until like you're foaming at the mouth, just wanting to row again. That, because if you're, if you have that feeling, like I just want to get out in the boat, then they're ready, right? How about, but how about losing? So, you know, you lose Stotesbury and taking four days off can really screw a kid, screw a kid's head up, right? Like yeah. they can get in a really negative place. Do you communicate to your guys all in that period of time? Or is it really, I'm, I'm going away. I need a break too. We all need a break. So well, th again, this year was different because, you know, we had the Stokesbury and it, there was a juxtaposition there because a lot of our team did really well. We won a lot of races. Sure. Uh, and, um, but it was like this little bit of a dark cloud when the varsity doesn't win and it's like it affects the, the whole team. Which kind of stinks, um, but that's that's the reality. Um, but I tried to talk to the guys that evening after we walked back from getting our medals, and you know they were no place to talk. They really, I mean, they were still a bit in shock. You know, it was, it was just a, it was a weird day. And um, but then the next day, we were going to go and race at the city. So it was, it was just a time trial, just run down the track. There were only three or four boats, I think, in, in the race. And I was so glad that we did that um, because the next day they came down, we met, we met as a boat. I was able to lay eyeballs on, on them. And we were, we were able to talk, okay, what did we learn from yet from, oh, from yesterday? What have we learned from the course of the seed season and where are we going to go from here? And so we actually had a, a productive talk the day after the Stotesbury because we were going to go out and race at the cities. Um, so it actually, I'm really grateful that we did that because if it was, if it was not talking to them from Saturday night to Wednesday, that, that could have been really bad. Um, but we left the boathouse and you know, we won the cities and I feel like guys felt like, okay, what, 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 what happened at Stotesbury happened. We can't change it now. Let's get ready for that for all, all, all for nationals. And they were very invested 
leaving the boathouse on Sunday on trying to win nationals. Um, so they felt they were, they didn't feel defeated from the Stokes Ferry, you know, since part of life, you know, yeah. can't handle, if you can't handle a loss, then you're going to have a really tough life. So I think for young kids, they handled it well. Um, if we didn't come together the next day, I think, I think it would have been a lot harder to perform in Florida two weeks after that. Okay. So Florida's two weeks later, uh, again, peak, trying to peak again. Okay. Wednesday you're out paddling, getting the, getting the juices going. How many days of intensity are you now running between those two weeks of highs and lows? Um, we go, I'm trying to think, uh, we went pretty hard. Um, I don't think we started backing him off until the Saturday for youth nationals, uh, maybe Sunday, but like even, you know, that week after Stokesbury is Memorial day. And, you know, we, we give them one day off. Like we, like we train, over Memorial Day week, weekend where, you know, typically a lot of teams were, I mean, kids are going down to the shore and they, they do, we, we give them like 24, 30 hours off and then we're back here and we're training. Um, and it's hard. Are you doing two days? Are you doing two days in that period? Cause I know there's no school anymore at that point. Right. So the week after Stokesbury, we're still in exams. Okay. Um, but once exams are over, yeah, we're going twice a day. Wow. Jesus Christ. Okay. So then you come down, you know, the race at youth national starts like Thursday. Uh, you get down there, what, Tuesday, I'm Tuesday. assuming. Yeah. And then you're doing a couple loops in the course, right? You're just doing your standard warm up. You're doing two minute pieces at that point or like one minute, like how are you warming up? For no, at that point, one, once we're at Benderson, I'm really careful about rest um, because you know, it's really hot down there at yeah. that point. Um, and so, I, like that, the that first day of we're now the we went for a paddle on Tuesday. That was we went we go for two laps, one lap to just get the travel out of them, and then one lap to kind of get to get after it. And I think we did, um, I think we probably did like an opening minute, maybe a little bit more than a minute, you know, a minute at base, and then a closing like two hundred, um, and then come in. That's pretty standard. So now, all right. So then, yeah, but then on Wednesday, it was Wednesday was the day. It was super hot out. There's line lines around the island to get on the water, and we were supposed to row at nine o'clock, and the line was forever. And I just I told them to stay at the hotel. We came down, we did it at two, um, and it was, just, it was really hot. And I was just like, "You're going for a lap. That's it. Come in." And we left. We were no time. Well, like the, the, only, the only thing that slowed those guys down was just horsepower at the end. I mean, that was, again, I said this twice now. It was the most electric race. These guys got out. I I was next to Zach Everson. And I was losing my mind watching these kids <laughs> like, like a open water on the field. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, that, the guys were so amped up for that. I mean, they had kind of – they had a feeling of being underdogs going into that race. Um, they were getting yelled at by officials in practice. You know, they just felt like no matter what, like in the semifinal, they said go. Um, well, the horn went, went off, and I think my my two-man didn't have an oar in his hand because the three-man was still sculling. So they say go, Cruz leave the block, and my two-man's like trying to 
or, you know, um, so they were all, they were really hyped up about like, just can't catch a break, you know? Um, and so they were very, very determined going into the final. And it was, I mean, watching us win youth in 2021 was amazing. I would put watching them try to win in 2022, a close set second. I mean, that was really fun to watch. I was on the bike and everyone on the bikes around me were like, is that prep way out? <laughs> I was just, I had a big smile on my face. I was like, this is either going to work or it's not, but what they're doing here is awesome. It, it was, it was, it was the, like I said, uh, the women's race, not taking away from, from coach wall. And that was awesome. You know, the catching the crab at, at 500 to go and, and, Greenwich coming back almost like that was awesome. But like watching the prep out by five seats, four seats on the entire field was <laughs> unbelievable. It was so cool. All right. Last question. I've had, I've had uh, dozens of coaches in my career and it's, it's a split right down the middle at the end of the season. Every coach I've had is one or to the other next year's season starts tomorrow or get the hell out of here. I don't want to hear from you. Talk to you for three months. Get out of here. I'll see you. I'll see you next year. And and I don't know which one's better. I mean, I, I really don't. I don't know which one's better. Where you start to focus next year, you take a day off, two days off, you start focusing again, or you see you later. What? Where do you fall in that spectrum? I wish I could say take a few months off and I'll see you at the school year. Um, I believe that if we took approach we would not be competitive at the level that we are now. Um, I'm a true believer of rowing in some summertime. If you want to, if you want to be rowing at the level in the grand final of youth nationals, which let's just talk about that for one second, making the final of youth nationals is really hard. It's really hard. The first time I ever had a crew do it, not the first time I had a varsity get into the final of youth nationals was 2021. Wow. We happen to win that year, but like, it's so hard to get into the final. You know, it's easy for us to like, Oh, we're just in the final. No, it's really hard because there's all these programs are really good. They're really well coached. They have really good athletes. So to just take June, July, and August off, I think, I think you're kidding yourself if you're going to, be competitive unless you have like a treasure trove of super athletes um so i when i took over the, the prep i made it a i made it a thing that you know we're you know for the guys that want to take it to the next level you should be growing in the summertime and so we have our summer club group which is called growing club which is primarily prep kids but we have some kids from some from some other schools um and we try and make it easy for them it's not as like super intense as the school year um like if you need to go if you're gonna leave for a week a week a weekend or two or you gotta go on a family trip it's no big deal yeah. um but you know we're rowing and racing you know and so right now we have we have about four eights kids rowing every, every day um well, i saw you what was it uh fourth of july weekend uh pete seymour and i are rowing and i was yeah. sort of trailing your boat i remember watching like i said to pete like i really want to pay attention to what these guys are doing and it was just a really light, relaxed row. The guys were having fun. They were joking around. Yeah. You guys would do like a couple of tens or twenties, stop, relax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So you 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 really do believe like if if you were to make the grand final again and be competitive, you have to stay rowing all summer. Yeah, that's it. Like you, there's no way around that in your mind. I don't think so. Um, and I'm looking at the programs that I'm competing against. Those kids are rowing right 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 now. I mean, the Greenwich kids are rowing. Um, uh, the Saugatuck kids. I mean, like you go through the list. I mean, these kids are rowing. Whether they're rowing for their home club or they're you know they're at selection camp where they're going to worlds. Or, I mean, they're rowing. Um, I do think you do need a break. I mean, I, I mean, well, our kids are going to race at Canadian Henley in a couple of weeks. Um, and then after that, then I'm like, okay, break time. Um, recharge the battery. What about coaches? What about coaches? What about you? Don't you think that you need a break, that you need to take a couple of weeks off of like yeah. this yeah. nonsense? It, it's, it's teaching. You're a teacher. That's what you are. You're, yeah. you're a coach, but you're a teacher. Yeah. And I didn't understand the, the time off that teachers needed until I became an adult, right? Because I used to say, oh, teachers had the summer off. Are you kidding me? Right. There's a reason for that, right? So yeah. what about that? How do you incorporate that into your training and your program? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I really haven't had much time off because, you know, last year we, we went through Henley, which was mid-August. Uh, you know, and I had this, I had this plan of like, all right, now I'm shutting it down for a couple of weeks. And then hurricane Ida came through and like flooded out. Our oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. so that that. Uh, but no, you're, you're right. We do need to get away from the boathouse. Um, and so when I get back from Canadian Henley, you know, I, my plan is to not step foot in the boathouse until, you know, a few days before we pick it up again. And and the fall, the fall is. I mean, you. I I, I don't know. You you do do the Charles. You go yeah, to the we Charles. brought. We we bring a pretty last year. We brought three eights and two fours to the Charles. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's your youth national championship, right? That for the fall, you're you're trying to peak for the Charles. Yeah, we're. I think we're going off second this year behind Greenwich. So that was fun. Well, John, I had a ball talking to you. I actually learned a couple of things. Uh, I, I hope you so. had fun too. <laughs> I mean, did, did, I did. did you enjoy the podcast? I did. I did. Um, I'm hoping that uh, your ratings are uh, just as good as our last one uh, that we did. <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot, man. You had a lot of views. You had a lot of views on that on that uh, interview. But anyway, John, so, I, I'm a little really... a little quick thing though is. Um, talking about getting away i'm 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 pretty excited I'm, I'm heading to italy on monday oh you're actually going to the race i'm, I'm going to world i don't have any responsibility there you know I'm there to represent the, the prep but really just to cheer on the, U, the usa so are you uh well i mean boys, two of our boys are in the eight so that's cool yeah. well listen I, you're you're gonna have you're gonna have a great time and anyone tuning in and watching uh, I hope you enjoyed learning about how the prep and how John Fife has done it. Uh, a guy from uh, nine out of 10 times wasn't voted to now being the program head coach at uh, the prep and coming off of a fantastic last couple of years. Tune in next week for more. We have more high school coaches. We're going to be talking to more high school coaches. And next week's theme is going to be around training, more about training and, and, and how you get your team ready for those national championships. John, thanks for being here. Welcome Thank you. Side. See you. Yeah.